Let's do this. Let's do it. I'll lead us in. I'll lead us in. I got us. I got us. You're in my heart. <clears throat> You'll be in my heart. Now I need to watch. I think it's dangerous when we do this at the end of the day, guys. This is what I'm learning from all of us is that it starts to get really fucking loose. In some ways, it's good that it's fucking loose. We're more vulnerable. We're more open. The The danger is, is that... Yeah, Usually know. by the end of the day, we've all we're all in the fucking loony bin, like full. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. No Clear Answers, where we explore the common challenges all humans, creators, and leaders face, and we break down preconceived notions of common self-help ideas. We're your hosts. I'm Ricky Goldenberg. I'm Justin Mulvaney. And I'm Dr. Corey Wilkes. I'm noticing just briefly, I really want a, a prefix like Corey, so I think from now on I might just introduce myself as a captain. <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm, I'm Captain Justin Mulvaney. I'm just Captain feeling that of what? Right now. Justin? Captain of what? Does it, uh, it's just Captain. Captain of conscious leadership. I'll there be we Madam. go, baby. <clears throat> yes. Madam? So, Madam Ricky Goldenberg, mm-hmm. Captain Justin Mulvaney. <laughs> I also take Curry. Emperor, like Empress. Emperor, Empress. I like Empress yeah. for you. That feels really good to me. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not Corey. You're not the only one with an important first part of yeah, your name. Yeah. 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 Look, man. I might not even be a doctor. Like you can just you can just make that shit up. It's fine. You haven't seen that, my diploma or my license. That yeah. is true. I, I haven't know, seen either he, of those things. You know, he put he puts it in his name. Like you know, he makes it pretty clear. But I haven't seen the documentation. They're just letters. You can just exactly. make up letters. I yeah. would love to just, well, let's just do it. We'll just start adding things. It does make me always think of those memes that are like, you're on the airplane and they're asking for a doctor and they're like, you should ask them if they're looking for a user experience designer and you could really help them with their wireframes. This yeah. would be the such only a way. long con of yours, the Corey. Only like even, <laughs> even in Riverside with us, it says Corey Wilkes, comma, side D. That actually tells me maybe you're not because only we see these names and Corey is still breaking. Yeah. I go, no, I'm a side D. Trust me. Yeah. It's called just... brand consistency. Okay. <laughs> I'm Corey Wilkes, side D everywhere. It's for SEO. It's for search engine optimization. Yeah. Well, because I think there is a Corey Wilkes who's like a baseball player or was or some shit. Mm. He doesn't have a doctorate. But maybe I don't either. I just have a shit ton of student debt. Okay, today. (laughs) Vulnerability. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. We're already getting into it. The most expensive piece of paper I own costs around $200,000. And that is my doctoral diploma. Mm. So vulnerability, guys, really curious. So vulnerability is one of those weird terms where people kind of recoil when you talk about it. And I think part of the reason for that is when we think of vulnerability, we think of weakness. We think of 
negative emotions sort of attached to it, right? Because anytime we have quote unquote felt vulnerable, it's usually when we have felt threatened, weak, in some way compromised. So then when we talk about, well, you need to embrace your vulnerability, you need to be willing to be more vulnerable, people naturally recoil because who wants to feel weak or threatened or compromised? But today we're kind of talking about the power of vulnerability, what it means to us, how we can employ it tactfully, tactically, and basically learn how to see vulnerability as more of an asset than a liability. <clears throat> so to kind of start us off, how do you all think about vulnerability as far as how it can be helpful to us or our clients? I'll go first. Is that okay, Justin? Or do you want to go first? You look like you might want to go first. You feeling feels over? No, I, I, one thing we still haven't figured out in this show is how to signal <laughs> to one another who's going first for everyone listening. I think and it's just I a thought, weird pause. I was manifesting sitting in silence as if to say, Ricky, you go first. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I we can go first. We got to figure out some. Sign I thought we always. I think. I think we just play this as a game of chicken. Is that not what you've all been doing? I've been doing. You oh, think, silence makes me uncomfortable. I will fill it. Do you think the the awkward pauses add to the charm of the podcast? I think that the awkward pauses um, demonstrate authenticity, which, oh, speaking like of, is how I think about vulnerability. Dun dun dun, Hit it, girl. What? <laughs> Thanks for that. Lead it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay. So let's, we, full disclosure, everybody came into this conversation with limited preparation, which is let's, let's be vulnerable for a second, right? We were talking about this beforehand, but I think that for myself, when I think about vulnerability, I actually think about it more, not necessarily with my clients, because truth be told, since I work with a lot of folks who work in more complicated, politically charged, dynamic workplaces, oftentimes vulnerability can be leveraged as a tool. And then it's very thoughtful. It's kind of a, it's, it's kind of a, an item to kind of pull. But in the day-to-day, -day, in my current experience as a human being, for me, one of the things that I think about vulnerability as is that, first of all, I think it's, Corey, I think you said this really well, which is that part of the reason why we recoil from it is because we align it with you know, feelings of discomfort, potential negative emotions, all these kinds of things. But I have noticed that over time for myself personally, having vulnerability with another individual automatically creates a lot of authenticity and real connection with someone for me. So this is something that I've talked about in the past, like with my therapist, for example, which is this idea that I actually have a really hard time connecting with people who are not vulnerable who appear invulnerable. And sometimes I have to just spend time with myself and assume that that's someone who maybe their vulnerability lies with another person. I'm just not the person that that happens with. But ultimately I have learned for myself that in order to actually facilitate authentic connection and friendship with someone, it requires collective vulnerability and sharing and naming and kind of having that discussion of emotion and what we're feeling. I I stand by that I actually, I, I, I separate these two things oftentimes because with my clients, 
I love that vulnerability and connection of our work together. But when I think about how you necessarily activate it potentially in the workplace, it gets much more tricky in terms of thinking about when and how and if at all it should be used, right? We, we work in a capitalistic Western style society that has this idea of always show strength, never show these elements. I do think that in positions of leadership, there's opportunity to demonstrate vulnerability to a point that also helps create invitation, right? If you're a leader and you're putting yourself in a position that says, hey, I actually don't know how this is going to go, or this is actually something I'm concerned about. That is a concept, that is a component of vulnerability and ultimately can create really great discussion and discourse. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a tool to be used at all times. This is me going on my own little tangent, but end, end, end statement is that I really am a big fan of vulnerability in, in the support of developing authentic connection with others. Yeah, Ricky, what you clued in on at the end, which I want to treat as a separate discussion point, is the value of vulnerability in its own right versus choosing vulnerability contextualized by the culture within which you are operating in. Mm -hmm. I do think that's a huge component of the conversation around the choice to be vulnerable or not vulnerable. I'm going to choose in this now moment not to quite go into the cultural connotations because I, sure. I think that's, or, or the cultural considerations because that's a little bit more nuanced. For me, when it comes to vulnerability, the big idea that's resonated with me over the course of the last year is that of intimacy. And in, by intimacy, meaning psychological intimacy. And one of the cute things I've seen done that I think is helpful is, is actually delineating out intimacy as into me see as in I'm allowing for you to see into me. And there's really two big advantages here. I notice I'm being very like pros and consy about it, but one of them I think is what Ricky pointed to, which from my vantage point, that sort of intimacy is what actually really generates meaningful human connection. Right. And so if I'm looking at my personal relationships, I simply value intimacy because that, is for me where love comes from. That is where um, co-creative flow comes from. That's where like a lot of the richness of being human comes from, both in personal relationships and if from an operating standpoint, a mission-oriented group, a company, if you can get to that level, I've also seen some real magical things happen. As I've played around with that vulnerability and intimacy, I'm thinking of this a lot in my relationship, but also with people I work with, the feedback I've most gotten back that I think is one of the major tactical advantages of quote unquote vulnerability, if I define vulnerability as letting you see into me. And for me, I noticed the growth edge is specifically letting you see into me for things that I'm uncomfortable with being in here. The main tactical advantage I see is it's kind of like me providing everybody around me with a weather report. And it's really useful for them to know, hey, it's actually really sunny over here today. I got a ton of bandwidth. It's feeling sunny. I'm down to play. Versus the tendency for me, if I don't want to be vulnerable, will be there will be a hurricane inside of me. And I won't want to talk about it. And then the people around me are like, what's, what's, there's something going on in there. 
but I don't know what it is and I have no idea how to engage with it. And then suddenly I'm on eggshells, right? This applies very clearly to corporate settings. Have you ever felt like you're on eggshells around people around you because you just don't know what's going on? And so one of the huge tactical value points of vulnerability defined as intimacy in this way is we all know the weather report with each other. And that lets us really understand how we need to play with each other as a team on a moment by moment, day by day, week by week, month by month timeframe in a way that you just can't have if you're not capable of being vulnerable with, hey, this is what's really living in me, right? I, I just have one thing that I have to say that I think is really interesting, Justin, that as you were speaking, really highlighted for me too, which is that you and I both were talking about the concept of vulnerability as a tactical advantage for creating authentic connection and intimacy with others. I also firmly believe that by connecting in and communicating outward our own vulnerabilities also creates a better relationship with self as well, right? As I start to learn, like when you were talking about the weather report, it really highlighted something for me that it's like, as you get into the practice of communicating, hey, it's sunny over here. Hey, it's a tornado. It gives you the practice of the self-reflection to prepare. Oh, why am I feeling this way? What am I feeling? What is this feeling that I am experiencing right now? And so ultimately that that navigation of vulnerability with self as well, I think creates better connection there too. Yeah, absolutely. Literally, as you were saying it, that same thing dropped in for me, which is, yeah, vulnerability with self is the first step on the road. Corey, do you want to call bullshit? No, not necessarily. <laughs> so much as <clears throat> not intentionally trying to be contrarian. So I agree that vulnerability is a great vehicle for authenticity, introspection, and self-awareness. For me, and this is, again, ironic as a psychologist, and Justin and I, we've talked about how I'm very not an overly emotional person. <clears throat> and I think that vulnerability gets lumped in with emotionality a lot of times. One, I'm not an emotional person. I absolutely hate crying. If you see me crying, it is like super, super, super bad that something has happened. I, I, I am not a crier. I actively avoid crying if it starts to happen. Right. Um, not, not through any like up upbringing, anything like that. Like, you know, normal upbringing, I guess. Um, but I was never outright told like, you know, big boys don't cry anything like that. I just always fucking hated it. Um, I value things like stoicism, um, and both upper and lowercase stoicism, like both the actual philosophy and just going about life stoically, like emotionally reined in. And we can go into reasons why that is at some point, but like, I want to hang out in there, but, but, um, I am vulnerable with myself for self-awareness, <clears throat> I am rarely vulnerable to the degree I think we're talking about right now with other people in any respect. And call me a caveman, call me emotionally stunted. I don't give a fuck. Like that is my choice as an individual. Um, I, it's sort of a thing of like, I can experience an emotion without expressing it. And that is probably the easiest way for me to, to describe that I can have an internal experience without 
it becoming an external observation to others. <clears throat> but for me, the vulnerability, what I call tactical vulnerability, is where I share pieces of myself for a specific reason, typically to build rapport, right? So like if you share something about yourself with a friend, with a partner, with a client, with the internet, whatever, that is a really good opportunity to build rapport, to build a connection, an authentic connection with people. So I will do that, right? So like, for example, you know, in my writing, I've talked before, but, and, and I think even on the podcast, I've talked about like going through domestic violence. I, I never bring up going through DV for sympathy or pity or whatever, right? I do it very specifically to show people that I have been through things maybe they have also been through, or I've been through rough shit and I've developed tools to, to cope with things. Or I, I know what it's like to, you know, grow up in poverty and then come out the other side, educate your way out of it, something like that. Right. That is all very specific, very tactical of building a connection, building that psychological safety with others, building that relationship for a, not authority so much as to build trust so that when I say, and these things work for me, they may work for you. I have that buy-in. This makes you sound like a fucking narcissist or something or a manipulator, right? Which, you know, I, I am aware of this. But <laughs> it's one of these things where it isn't about, I want you to feel sorry for me. I want you to, to have to walk on eggshells around me, right? I don't want to be an emotional liability, which is what I think a lot of people, why people recoil from the word vulnerability because they see it as Oh, I have to take care of this person. I have to speak a certain way around them. I can't make certain jokes around them because they're emotionally vulnerable, because they're sensitive. And that isn't the type of vulnerability I'm talking about, right? I am talking about sharing authentic pieces of yourself, but in a way that is helpful for other people rather than burdensome. What are your all's yeah. thoughts? Oh, this, this, th there are so many juicy directions. <laughs> Justin and I have so many feelings. We're full I just, of feelings. I just want to <laughs> briefly, let's not go in the, the, the uh, direction of this, but I always laugh when people say, I'm not an emotional person. And I think, bullshit. Uh, and then, same friend, same. I, I feel emotions without expressing them. I always think, bullshit, you suppress emotions. That's, but that's called bottling, my friend. This is for another conversation because, Corey, I think we're operating on slightly different definitions of those things. And I actually want to get into this. I think there's a slight linguistic difference. I also think we probably just have different preferences for how vulnerable we get and in what ways. One important delineation I actually did have around uh, vulnerability before we got into the episode is the role of responsibility in vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And I think this is what a big thing that you're pointing to. Absolutely. Corey, which is there's a pure definition of you know, vulnerability, intimacy. I'm letting you know what's going on in here, but I actually think there's a big difference for me in the, the place you're coming from in sharing that or the reason why. So 
there for me is a huge difference for saying it's a hurricane in here today. Mm-hmm. And therefore I need all of you to accommodate to the hurricane. I'm just going to be a hurricane. I'm not taking any responsibility for it. I, you were at the effect of me being a hurricane and I need you to work around it. Right. Versus saying, I want you to know that there's a hurricane in here. I'm angry. I'm sad, whatever. I'm taking responsibility for it. But what I want you to know is I'm still working on it and the gale force winds haven't settled down yet. And so I'm sharing not because I, I, I need you to adapt to me, though I may make that as a request. And that's my own way of saying taking responsibility. Hey, I'm a hurricane today. Would you be willing to just ho- hold me gently today? make an agreement, but I'm taking it from, from a place of I'm taking responsibility for where I'm at and letting you know, so we can be clear with what's going on here. I think a hundred percent, Justin, because there's something here that you're talking about that I think is really important. And, and all three of us are, are talking about it in some capacity, which is this idea of vulnerability as a tactic for connection, communication, intimacy. It's in service of going to that next level in our relationship. It's in service of deepening our understanding of each other. I think sometimes what we get wrong about vulnerability or sort of quite a little bit of what, and just both what you're talking about is like, I always think of the language, um, ah, trauma dumping, right? People confuse vulnerability with someone who just overshares with anyone who's near them. It's like when you, and, and we've probably all experienced this in some capacity, right? It's like, especially in the time of influencers on the internet that are telling us way too much about themselves, more than I would know about my closest friends, we're seeing it all over the internet as an opportunity for connection. And actually with the rise of reality TV and the dating shows, there is, we've kind of enhanced this idea that in order to sort of set myself up and make myself human in your eyes. I need to tell you every single thing about myself. And I think the three of us, I hope, I think we're in alignment here that that's not what we're talking about when we talk about vulnerability. Vulnerability doesn't mean I get up on the rooftops. I tell you about every single intimate emotion or feeling that I have inside my head. It's actually much more of this connection in, in support of creating connection in support of sharing ourselves with someone else with the desire have that be two ways. And, you know, sometimes it still shows up maybe. So we share something in a newsletter. We do share something online that does create invitation for connection in some ways as well. So that, that, that's the way that I think about it. I think of it as very different because, you know, we've all, have you had this experience, right? You're sitting with someone, like I have plenty of people in my life that I know so much about them, but I don't really know them and they really don't know me because they've, they've just talked at me. And I think that for them, they feel that that's vulnerability. And for me, that's not actually vulnerability. That's not authentic connection because vulnerability really comes from, we're, we're both talking, we're both connecting, we're both listening and we're both creating that safe space to sort of talk through whatever's coming up or whatever experiences we're sharing. If it's not emotions, Cody. Well, I think you, you hit on a good point of like that shared environment and mm-hmm. you know, basically the, the consent that this is a, a place of psychological safety. Like we both mm-hmm. agree to, to be present, to show up fully for each other and support each other. Right. I think, well, at least I have, I, I would 
assume we've all kind of been in a position where like you're, you know, you're at work and then just like a random coworker comes over and you don't really know them. They just sit down and start trauma dumping on you. And you're like, motherfucker, I did not agree to this conversation. Like I did not agree to be your low key counselor for your divorce or the fact that your partner is, you know, doing X, Y, or Z or your existential midlife crisis, right? Like I didn't sign up for that. Right. But again, like, I think that is the idea people have when we talk about vulnerability. Mm. And I think despite my own, you know, emotional stuntedness or whatever people want to call it, I think that tactical vulnerability can be very, very powerful to build connections to lead the way for others, especially in a leadership position, which we'll get to here in a second with, you know, your all's experiences. Um, yeah, I want to be really clear. Like we're not talking about trauma dumping. We're not talking about becoming an emotional liability for everyone around you. That isn't vulnerability. That's just being a burden, which is yeah. politically correct, but I stand by it. Yeah, go ahead. I feel like a quick check-in on that. If you're having this moment, they're like, oh my gosh, is that me? Can we offer them some kind of quick check-in on that? Right. If, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh gosh, am I, am I trauma dumping? Am I? I guess the, the first question is like the last time that you talked to that person, do, did you ask them questions about themselves? Do you know I what's actually, going on with them? I actually even want to pause before we dig in and Love go, adjusting. if you're pause. asking the question, congratulations. That's a really great question to be asking yourself. Like I really want to be clear in any point in the self-development journeys. This has been my experience. We can wake up to things about ourselves that we don't like. And mm -hmm. then the immediate re reaction is to punish yourself for it versus if you're generally like, oh my God, was I doing it? Congrats on some new self-awareness and it will be beautiful to ask that question. Mm -hmm. So that would oh, be I my first frame. Justin. And then I think, Ricky, yeah, there's some good questions to really ask yourself about that. Is it a monologue or a dialogue? That's yeah. usually my first question. Like, if you monologue at people, it's, prob like, it's probably on you. But if it's a genuine dialogue, very different. Am I sharing because I expect you to fix my problem for me? Mm -hmm. Or I'm expecting for you to deliver me relief from it in this moment? Yeah. Am well, I sharing you, also just to share? Like that's the other thing that happens often with individuals who are in that position of like overarching vulnerability that they're just, they're sharing with anyone who will listen for their own internal relief rather than relief from that other individual. Am I just talking about this because I'm an external processor and anyone who's near me is getting the brunt of it? Well, and think yeah. of anyone... And, and Think of anyone you feel connected to. Mm -hmm. It's because there is that shared vulnerability, that shared environment of psychological safety. Your best friends are probably people you feel safe being yourself around. You don't have to put on airs. You don't have to worry about how you word certain things. Same thing with your partner. They probably know you really well. You've probably admitted you know, your own emotions to them. You've probably admitted your, your hopes, your dreams, your shortcomings. You've, you've processed your stresses for the day with that person. And they hopefully have done the same because it's been a dialogue. And that when you reach to that level of just depth uh, as a human, 
and you're, and you embrace that, that is how you can much more fully connect with people rather than pretending you're invincible, pretending whatever. Justin, go ahead. I don't remember the point I was about to make before, but there was another point. So if on one end of the spectrum for me, there is being vulnerable without responsibility. So I'm not actually taking responsibility for where I'm at. I think Ricky's brought up some good things. I'm not asking permission or there aren't clear agreements or a co-commitment around the sharing. Uh, I'm sharing because I expect you to give me relief or I'm seeking relief from sharing instead of actually taking responsibility. And for me, really the heart of the question for me is, does this feel like this is something that uh, is really alive in the relational dynamic and I'm not naming it? That's a heuristic for me, right? This is currently something unspoken that's in the connection dynamic, Again, the weather report, there's a hurricane over here. It's affecting my relationship with Ricky and Corey, but it's not named. That's a big heuristic for me of whether or not I want to be vulnerable. On the other side of this, though, that I've seen a lot that I would be want not to mention in this conversation is performative vulnerability, which I think there's, there's going to be a line here that we'll have to explore, Corey, between performative and tactical vulnerability. But performative vulnerability for me is I am pretending to be vulnerable without actually being vulnerable. And so that may be uh, misrepresenting something as vulnerable that's not actually vulnerable for me, misrepresenting what's actually going on in here, or acting like I'm going going vulnerable, but actually stopping before the real vulnerability starts. And this is another thing that you see everywhere. And oftentimes my bone to pick with performative vulnerabilities where it's most frequently happening. If we use Ricky's influencer example, it may be to garner sympathy for an ulterior motive. Or oftentimes in work settings, I see it done to attempt to elicit vulnerability out of somebody else for political reasons without actually going out and being vulnerable. And so this for me is the other end of the of vulnerability, which is I'm performing vulnerability without actually really being meaningfully vulnerable. So yes, I love this whole conversation point. So <clears throat> to kind of reverse order, the whole idea of like baiting vulnerability, right? I remember specifically on internship. So Part of my definition of, of vulnerability is the ability to, to build rapport with people, right? To create an environment of psychological safety, okay? Especially when there's a power differential, like between you and, and a client or an employee or a, a mentee, something like that. Creating an environment of psychological safety is very important, right? Because whether it's therapy, coaching, anything else, people cannot perform at their highest level, if they feel they have to protect themselves or put on airs. If you want people to fully open up, to fully do everything that they're capable of doing, they have to feel psychologically safe. Okay. That, and that is why build like rapport is the foundation of, of any coaching relationship or, or anything. If the, if your client doesn't trust you and doesn't feel safe and supported, they will never make real meaningful progress. That is a fucking fact. doesn't matter how smart you are. doesn't matter how good your shit is. If they don't feel safe, the ability to be vulnerable, 
they're not going to make much progress at all, especially relative to what they could have. Okay. There's a specific moment on internship for me where my supervisor could tell I wasn't satisfied, I'll put it that way, with how my internship was going. It was a clusterfuck. Um, people kept quitting. The The place was hor horribly run is, is a whole issue. And I remember specifically my supervisor, one of them saying, sort of baiting that vulnerability, like, hey, man, tell me what's going on. Tell me how you're really feeling right now. And I was like, well, I'm trying to be professional. I'm trying to, you know, this is my role right now. My emotions aren't really relevant because I have to complete this internship. And he was like, no, no, just, you know, safe space, shut the door, let's talk. So I did and basically professionally told him my issues. And immediately he was like, well, if you don't want to be here, we don't want you here. Like if you're, if you're unsatisfied, we can have, we can find somebody else who, who would want to be here. That moment broke any trust I had. Mm -hmm. And it was for that relationship was forever. Like I'm keeping you at arm's length. I don't care what you say to me in the future. I will never trust you again because trust is so hard to, to build and so easy to lose. And you've lost my trust. There's honestly probably not a way you're going to build it back because of this moment and how you baited that vulnerability. Because not only do I feel bad because of your reaction, I feel doubly bad because I opened up and was rejected for it. So I love that point, Justin, of, of you know, basically baited vulnerability. right? And I think that I'm curious, Justin, especially with the people you coach, what have your experiences been around baited vulnerability specifically? and the consequences of it. Yeah, it's funny. The, the examples that initially came to me were actually the opposite. So maybe we start there and I'll talk about what I've seen unfold with leaders who are playing around with authentic vulnerability Okay. and then go back and see the implications of performative vulnerability. When I see leaders really embracing authentic vulnerability – the usual experience across a team is a sigh of relief because in my experience, teams are almost normally ex like they're all experiencing a very similar thing. It, it's and, and leaders lose track of this a lot because there's a certain loneliness that comes with being a leader with sitting at quote unquote, the top of the hierarchy. And so they'll oftentimes make up that their experience is somehow notably different from the team's experience. It's like, ah, the team's not performing well, but none of them are feeling the pain. None of them are feeling the tension. It's just all on me. Or they're upset that somebody's taken too many vacation days and they go, they're not even aware. They're not even feeling any tension around this. And in my experience, if a leader can, or a leader's like, I have no idea what we're doing. I feel totally lost, but I'm hiding it from the team. Hint, hint, you're not hiding it from your team. And so very frequently, the experience of authentic vulnerability from a place of responsibility, I am seeing this happen. I want us to be able to have a conversation about it, is a sigh of relief from the people that are following them because thank God we're talking about the elephant in the room. I, it's not that I'm not seeing it. It's not that I'm not feeling it over here, but we're just not talking about it. And thank God that it's here. And occasionally there's a blindside 
from teams that there's a little bit of reactivity because maybe they hadn't noticed or heard it. But long term, the effects are almost always, especially if a leader can take responsibility for it, a more integrated, connected team. My experience is with performative vulnerability, and I'm actually going to my career now because I'm such a good coach that none of my clients do performative vulnerability. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, gold stars, gold stars, gold stars. Um, uh, performative vulnerability, in my experience, similar to what uh, Corey has said, is almost always a race to the bottom. I mean, there is a quick deterioration of trust. If people are smart, if, I mean, Corey, you were smart and then overrode your intuition, but they sense this isn't real. Therefore, my two options are either risk myself by being authentically vulnerable, skirt around this, which rarely happens, or perform vulnerability back. And suddenly now everyone's performing and we actually can't talk about what's going on without it getting explosive. And Organizations I've seen like this churn gets incredibly high. Um, the culture turns very toxic because the only people who will deal with it are people who are okay with it being that way, who also tend to be toxic. Like it, it just uh, collaboration goes down. It's it's just it's like trying to run a team with a parachute on doing performative vulnerability. And what almost always happens is a leader can get away with it for a little bit, but once when the shoe falls, when the team realizes what's going on, once people get played too many times or once trust starts to deteriorate, as Corey said, it goes fast. It goes really, really yeah, I think Ricky, it's, yeah, I was, no, I just if, was going to say is that I think when we, when you talk about performative vulnerability, I think it, once it crashes, it very quickly, it very quickly appears as manipulation. That's that's really what it looks like. It's a I would manipulative say it tactic. It's a manipulative tactic. It's a manipulative tool. I think that whenever I think about the experiences in my own life of these experiences of moments of like performative vulnerability that's occurred, at the end of the day, it has resulted in complete lack of trust of that individual, right? Complete lack of trust. The trust has deteriorated. And then I've also recognized, oh, I'm... I, I, I call them snakes. Oh, I'm working with snakes. That's really what I walk away from those situations with. And that's that's what my clients have walked away from too. It's sort of like when we when we have that experience of working with someone who is doing who is experienced in performing vulnerability in order to attain their own goals, they ultimately usually just look like a political operator. They ultimately look like they're doing self-serving activities. It comes back almost to like, it's not trauma dumping, but it's still, it's self-serving activities that are trying to get their own win at the end of the day. It's, it's the, it's the leader who comes in and talks about how, how hard they're working and how hard it is to do what they're doing and the intensity of what they're feeling in order to try to create connection with the individuals who are working under them. And then you start playing into the game of like, well, okay, how, well, how much are you getting paid? How much are they getting paid? Are they all getting paid the same amount? Are they getting promised? Are you creating carrots? Or are you creating sticks? It just starts to really change the conversation. So, yeah, I immediately, just while you were talking, I was like, oh, man, I, I've, we've all had that experience when you work with someone who's doing that and you feel the rug get pulled out from under you and you've just, you've been manipulated. Well, and notice here, Ricky, what I'm hearing from you, me, and Corey mm -hmm. is that even people 
I'm going to say like us, but the, the natural psychological tendency, even if you've done a tremendous amount of inner work, psychological work and training is that once somebody performs vulnerability and uses it to get you, the doors get slammed shut. Only performative vulnerability is what you get back. Authenticity is gone. Like it's, you have to be really intentional to recover someone from that. And you can't really expect anything back once they've gotten burned once. It tends to be a very tit for tat game. Once you've burned me once with performative vulnerability, we're, we're probably done with authenticity and authentic vulnerability. And again, mm-hmm. from a, a leadership standpoint, what I'll again implore is there's a mindset that says, well, why, why do I care? Vulnerability is that not, not that important. And what I would say is the loss in terms of co-creativity, the loss in terms of whether or not we can know each other's weather reports is like operating with a parachute on. And sure, you can grind through. You may want to grind through. A lot of people actually prefer that. They don't know it, but they would rather do it painfully than do it easily. But mm-hmm. you are putting a parachute on you and your team. There's, there's a very, I mean, Corey, you were talking, we were, you were talking a lot about this, you know, creating the psychological safety and this feeling of trust. And once that parachute comes out, we've lost safety. We've lost the ability to have discourse, tense discussions. We no longer are able to actually work together in a collaborative setting because at the end of the day, we're all watching our back. And that really, it actually just diminishes progress. It diminishes creating something new as a team and as an organization. If your organization is the type of organization that we're watching performative vulnerability that's resulting in manipulation and lack of trust and safety, just at the end of the day, it's a very painful place to work. That and like, and as with many of the topics we discuss, like, vulnerability itself doesn't really have like any one definition, right? There, there are like good versions of it, toxic mm-hmm. versions of it, everything else. Right. So like it isn't what we're talking about. Isn't trauma dumping and it isn't performative vulnerability because performative vulnerability makes you the recipient feel exposed and weak because it has shown and widened the power differential. Right. And So going back to like, you know, what I said at the top of the episode of like, a lot of people think of those words, those emotional, you know, experiences when they think of vulnerability. That's why performative vulnerability is so toxic, especially in a workplace is because it makes you feel all the negatives of, of the word vulnerable. Right. But going back to what Justin was saying with like, how does performative vulnerability differ from um, tactical vulnerability? So a couple of things for, for, and again, tactical vulnerability is just like a fucking term I made up. Right. So this isn't like a, a Webster's dictionary thing. Okay? It has a little asterisk created yeah. by Dr. Corey yeah. Wilkes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a doctor. So it's, it's official, right? Whatever. So done f- for me, it's like <clears throat> I'm in the creator space. I, you know, I, I, I write and do other things. And one way that I try to separate my work from all of the the how-to gurus and thread boys and shit on Twitter is sharing more of my story because ChatGPT can't compete with my story. All these other motherfuckers don't have my experiences, right? They may know some of what I know, but they, they don't have my stories. So stories are a huge thing that allow you to separate yourself from your competition and connect to your audience. 
And the best stories tend to be rooted in vulnerability and what I call tactical vulnerability. So a lot of times when people respond to me, like from the newsletter or whatever else, a lot of what they talk about is, oh, the story you shared about your upbringing or your experiences or whatever really resonated with me, right? When I talk about getting fired or again, going through DV, growing up poor, all sorts of shit, I am, the question I always ask myself is, is this helpful to my audience or am I just trauma dumping and trying to get sympathy? Right. As long as it is valuable potentially to the recipient, then I'll share it. Okay. So I don't share it just to share it. It's like this has a specific function. There's this is, you know, it's tactile. I'm doing it for a specific reason. And that reason is to build trust, to have a shared connection because we have similar experiences, something to that degree. And those are the things, you know, if we're going to talk about like building parasocial relationships. Those are the things that people feel connected to me over. And when I think about the people I look up to, my favorite authors, podcasters, whatever, they do a very similar thing, right? Mm -hmm. What has become, I don't listen to a whole lot, but what has become one of my favorite podcasts is Armchair Expert, which my girlfriend got me onto. Um, because Dax is, is very vulnerable. He, that motherfucker isn't even tactically vulnerable. He's just straight up fucking vulnerable. He shares all of his shit and you feel like, you know, Dax, he talks about all of his experiences, all of his, you know, the ups and the downs and things. And that bonds you so tightly to somebody like him so that when, you know, of, of the millions of podcasts out there, I'm like, yeah, but I feel connected to Dax. Right. So that is what I mean when I talk about tactile vulnerability. It isn't manipulation. It is how much of my story, one, how deep am I willing to go to share? Because you don't want to overshare, right? Or you don't want to share things that you're uncomfortable with people knowing about you. But for me, it's always what of my story would help my audience? Let me share that to help them. That to me is tactical vulnerability. I think that's that's really interesting. And two things came off me when you were talking. One, quick, quick aside. This is a quick aside that I must say, and then I'm coming back to it. Quick aside, there was a fantastic study that found if you want to have a better collaborative brainstorming session in a creative environment, the thing you should have everyone do is before you get started, they all share an embarrassing story. And that's what you were making me think of. I had this moment that I was like, it's true, right? If we have if we have this moment that we share something embarrassing, maybe silly, a little bit private, it already opens us up for connection within that space. And we can actually have really strong creative exploration. So just a little tip and trick. If you're doing a brainstorming workshop this week, try it. But you, I was like, I have to tell you this because I was thinking about it for creative. But the other thing that came up in this conversation is you're talking about this tactical vulnerability. There's something that you said at the end that really resonated for me, which is I'm not telling the story to trauma dump. I'm telling the story because it is in service and will be helpful to the individuals that I'm working with. And that I think is the really unique differentiator that we're seeing between kind of what you share versus an influencer who tells me every single freaking thing about them and then ultimately, I, I was just listening to an episode of um, Maintenance Phase, which is my podcast of choice. Everyone should be listening to it. And they were talking about an influencer who's like a 
some whatever, and they were talking about they had to share this other details and they have to share all these follow-ups. And they're like, that's part of the complexity of if you are an influencer and you create a space that your entire life is the brand, then guess what? When things are happening within your entire life, you then have to talk about it. Like if part of your brand is talking about your marriage, then if you are going through divorce, it is no longer private. It is now part of the story that you have to share. And I think that especially within influencers, they've really demonstrated performative vulnerability and how the dangers of it, when you don't think about it tactically, when you don't think about, do people need to know everything about my marriage? Do people need to know everything about my family? Is that relevant to what I'm trying to do? Or am I just falsifying connection by oversharing? Yeah, I, I question influencers' motivation in general with this. But I want <clears throat> to there's, – there's two things that really came alive listening to you both speak. One, let's briefly look at the study you cited, Ricky. And I don't know the mechanism of action, but I'm going to propose one. So if we have everybody tell an embarrassing story before we go into a creative brainstorming session, what happens? Well, frequently when we get into groups of people, something that we all do is we, we identify with an image of ourselves that we want to maintain. This is, a, this is a core function of interacting with other human beings. I want you all to think that I'm competent, articulate, put together, professional, serious. And if I make up, if I immediately start with a whole group telling us embarrassing things about ourselves, well, I've already smashed that image to pieces. And suddenly I'm actually just free to be me. And maintaining an image takes a tremendous amount of energy. I have to look at you all. I have to attempt to interpret all of your little reactions to see how you're, um, how you're, I, I think that you're taking me in. Is it according to that image? How do I need to adjust to that? And that's a huge drag versus if I stop doing that, all of my energy can just go to creativity. Mm -hmm. And this is a huge argument for leaders is that two things happen if you can create bi-directional vulnerability. One, you break your own image for the people that you lead. And this is a huge thing that a lot of leaders don't realize, but think about it. There's a, a, something almost automatic, and I, I don't know if there's a psychological phenomenon that happens with this, but when there's a power differential and you're looking up at somebody above you, almost always you start to subtract some of their humanity. They're the boss. They're so-and-so. We project a huge amount of expectations on them, and we start judging against those expectations. And if I, as a leader, can be vulnerable with the people who are following me, well, suddenly we can break the veneer of those expectations and just be with each other with people. Additionally, they get to do the same, right? They get to break their image. And now we're all just moving freely as human beings, as opposed to playing this kind of image expectation games that's happening. The second implication of that is that point, Corey, you made that vulnerability leverages the power of our shared humanity. And my God, is there so much power in that? Like the difference between being partnered with somebody who you can both authentically be yourself with each other, there's deeper connection, there's deeper trust. And I don't know about you all, but my experience with that is those are people I'm willing to go through hell with. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the traditional knowledge is very like military or industrial, which is if you want to create like an army or people to go through hell, you got to whip them into shape. 
And what I would say is that's a great way to create an army of, of humans who are, are robots and will just follow what you say to do and are devoid of their humanity. But if you really want to create like a team of people who are willing to go through hell and are also embodied in their full humanity, genius, and creative expression, that pathway is through vulnerability. Ricky, you're thinking. I'm thinking about it as like, I love an ideal state, right? I love an ideal state that, that Justin, you're starting to get towards. And I'm thinking about it. I think it's also recognizing, Corey, I, I think that your actions of tactical vulnerability are also really important as you're thinking about this in the workplace, right? Because ultimately you might be in a position that you recognize that leadership isn't doing what Justin is describing or leadership is, but the people around you aren't, or we previously had this and now we no longer have this, or there's things that I don't want to share anymore. And so I think that there's benefit in toying a little bit with this activity in a way that feels safe, recognizing, Oh, when I'm working with this person or when I'm working in this space, how can I leverage or access some tactical vulnerability that's in support of connection with the person that I'm working with? That's also in alignment with how I want to show up in this workplace, right? I'm not going to share a secret with one person and hope they don't tell anyone. Don't do that. Oh my God. I just got so scared. It's more thinking about, okay, in this workplace, as I'm trying to develop connection, authentic connection, where are the spaces that my stories can develop and create that relationship. And I think that's an interesting way to kind of start to toy with it because I feel like, you know, Corey, your story is, is a really, it's a really difficult story because you got burnt. I pro like, I bet that the next person we worked with, we were so much more closed off, right? We like, and if they did even try to do a performative vulnerability bait with us, we're like, uh, uh, <laughs> I've seen it. I'm not doing it again. Right. We kind of, we learn some unfortunate tools from that. And so I think this concept of tactical vulnerability, trademark Corey Wilkes, is really supportive. Doctor. Doctor. Lo siento. Corey lo siento, Wilkes. mi amor. Dr. Corey Wilkes. Versus idealized vulnerability, trademark Captain Justin Moore. <laughs> yes. But my point is, is that I do think that it's really helpful to recognize in these two, which one feels viable for you. Because even if you are in a leadership position, idealized vulnerability still may not be possible because your team isn't ready for it, or you might not be ready for it. And so this is the way that I think about this, because, you know, sometimes we've talked about in previous, previous episodes, we've talked, you know, about the idea of like bringing, I think we recently talked about like bringing your whole self to work. I'm like, that's not possible if you're in a workplace that is not safe to do so. Right. It's like. We're, if we go in and we start trying for idealized vulnerability, there's real risk in that. And so for here, I think this is a lot about starting to recognize, starting to identify where could tactical vulnerability support our relationships and connections within our workplace and at least start playing with it in our relationships, right? Start playing with this idea of connection and intimacy and communication within our relationships. Well, I think if fundamentally, if you are in, in the game of facilitating transformation, right? So like as coaches, as a boss, as, you know, a, a niche authority, whatever, if your primary function is to facilitate transformation, 
for your audience, for your clients, for your employees, whoever, then understanding the power of embracing vulnerability tactically, that is how, that is the foundation for creating psychological safety, for building rapport, for giving people the permission and the space to show up as themselves authentically, then you will understand the importance of vulnerability, tactile vulnerability, that sort of a thing. You can't facilitate transformation if everybody's walking on eggshells or feel like they have to wear a mask or whatever, right? One thing that I wanted to, to touch on, and this is basically a non sequitur, is with you, Ricky, I couldn't find a, a good, because we kind of- Wait, can we, before the non sequitur, can I say yeah. two things in response to yes. what Ricky said? Um, I think the point you're making is really important, Ricky. And one thing, so I'm just about to be done. By the time this releases, I'll be done with a a year-long training in the Conscious Leadership Group. And the Conscious Leadership, there are 15 very specific commitments and principles of operating that they move through. And one point that they, they make, and I think this applies to vulnerability, is as you embrace these principles, you're going to start, you're starting to play a different game. You've been playing baseball your whole life, right? If you haven't been vulnerable and now you're starting to play basketball and right. uh, This is going to cause a bunch of questions. This is going to lead some things. And so as you go on, you're probably going to have to renegotiate with some people. Hey, I know we've been playing baseball forever, but I'm interested in starting to play basketball. So will you play basketball with me? And so I think this analogy is so powerful because to what's Ricky saying, one good question is what's the game that's being played at the place that I'm in? Are we playing a vulnerability game at all? Or is there no vulnerability? What's the vulnerability game that we're currently playing? Is that the game I want to be playing? Or am I trying to play a different game and then if it's a different game, well, there's a whole bunch of things that I may want to negotiate. I, I, I may want to come into co-committed relationship with people around how we're doing um, vulnerability. And by co-committed, what I literally mean is we have an agreement. Hey, I notice I want to do vulnerability this way. Are you aligned with that? But a lot of the mayhem with vulnerability comes when you're playing softball, I'm playing basketball. We might not even know it. And then wires cross and things go mad. Mm, I love that. One other case for vulnerability, and let me be our, I think I did this in a recent episode, let me be our spiritual woo-woo person here for a second. That may be the seat that I take on this podcast, which is interesting. I'm I'm not normally. Take it. There's a more spiritual reason to be vulnerable, which is, do I want to move through life in such a way where I have to hide what's going on in me? Or do I want to be living a life where I can just be honest with everything that's going on in here? And that's a little bit of a layer beyond tactical vulnerability. It just zooms out a little bit more, which tactical vulnerability says, is this, how does this serve me and the person in front of me in this moment? But there's a zoomed out long game that goes in the arc of my life. Do I want to be moving toward, and this is a question I've really been asking myself and is a powerful motivator for me. Do I want to be moving toward where my relationship and my environment, I can be more and more honest of I'm a fucking hurricane today. I'm a mess. I'm taking responsibility, but I'm just letting you know, or more and more towards, I have to misrepresent that. I have to put a mask on. 
Mm. And that's actually about the arc of your de the development of your life and how you move through the world. And that for me is an even deeper layer for why vulnerability. God, I want a life where as I age, I can just be around people who I'm taking my responsibility, but I can just be honest. That thing you said, it pissed me off. I'm pissed. It's not your problem, but like, I'm just letting you know, I gotta, I gotta do some work on that right now. Very good. Okay. Two quick questions to wrap up. <clears throat> First one to Ricky, how do you see vulnerability showing up specifically in the women that you coach who are prof like working professionals mm. may or may not be in a leadership position. How does vulnerability play in specifically for women in the workplace? Oh my God. As the representation of all women in the workplace, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. You know, it's really interesting because so I coach both men and women. I specifically don't only work with women. There's a reason for that, which is my own personal interests. And then also, I don't need everything to be pink in my life. Um, I will be seeing Barbie. This is like way later, but I'm going to see Barbie this week. Um, anyway, but my point is, is that especially with women, I think that vulnerability can get super misconstrued. Like when we were in the beginning of this conversation, Corey, and you were talking about vulnerability, emotionality, like the, the differentiator between that. I think that a lot of women have been instructed in the workplace to not demonstrate emotion, right? To not demonstrate feelings and to lean in. Thank you, Sandberg. And that's a requirement of what professionalism looks like. And so because for a lot of the women that I work with who are in positions of leadership and like the C-suite and director and VP spaces, or they're just women, it's, it's, it's actually a navigation around shifting from, it's not about not showing emotions. It's more about recognizing what I do want to share. I think that's actually where it gets really interesting with the with women that I work with specifically that are in their professional space is that there's a lot of like, oh, you can't cry at work, but sometimes women, their response to things is emotional and they get heated and and yet so do men. They're just emotional response looks different than women and therefore can't participate in it. But I have found that a lot of the women that I work with, it's less, it's actually refocusing the conversation on it's not about emotion. It's a, it's actually about connection and communication and standing up for what I want. Right. So the vulnerability oftentimes is actually tied to communication. It's actually often tied to holding your ground in space. It's tied to asking for the type of support that you need in your leadership role. And that's where I see it like showing up for them the most because Oftentimes for women, it's like, I'm not supposed to ask for help. Or like, if I'm asking, if I say that I'm someone who really loves verbal recognition, then I'm just asking for gold stars and compliments. If, and so it's really around navigating, oh, wait. And it starts with the discussion with self, right? Which is if I'm showing up in my best way, this is what I need for that. And this is how I communicate that in a way that allows for connection and the possibility to move forward. Cool. Then last question <clears throat> for everybody as just a, a practical takeaway for the audience. What is one question or exercise you would recommend for people to embrace their own vulnerability, tactical or otherwise to get comfortable embracing vulnerability? Whoever wants I've got to a go. bunch of uh, potential prompts of escal escalating depth 
So do it. Especially tools for teams. One, let, let's go from simplest to what I make up gets more complex. One is just um, red, yellow, green check in. Mm-hmm. This is where this is where I'm at right now. I'm a green. Love I love a red, yellow, green. I had a great night's sleep. I'm a yellow, little wishy washy. I'm a red. Something's going on with family stuff. You can escalate uh, a level up. These aren't all linear, but one can just be a check in with what's the primary emotion that's here now? I'm feeling sad right now. Feeling a little angry. I'm feeling happy. Just again, it's, I'm just letting you know it's the, kind of this weather report mentality. Another one is literally give the weather report. Sunny, there's, there's a chance of showers. It's a little cloudy over here. Or a, another really playful one, which can be a little absurd, but I, I found it fun to play with is if I were an animal right now, this is what the, this is what the energy in here feels like. I'm feeling a little bit slothy. I'm feeling a little bit like a Tasmanian devil. Like it's just ways to play with giving people a sense of where you're at. And then just two more conscious leadership group has some really beautiful prompts that really open up the doorway to much deeper intimacy. So this is probably better practice in personal relationships, but their run-ins are, if you really knew me, if you really, really knew me or something I, I don't want you to know about me, good ramps, vulnerability. Like if you really knew me, this is what's going on for me. So you can play with any of those prompts. I I tend to like as a gateway, just the weather report mentality. Here's the weather report over here. I'm a yellow. It's rainy. It's sunny. Just play with that. I like it. I think that for me, if I was going to go with tactical, I actually think that, um, and we talked a little bit about this earlier in this conversation, which is uh, the beginning of this is self-awareness. The beginning of this is being able to have that vulnerable conversation with ourself and being able to recognize. So Justin, I love the ones that you're sharing. And I think there's also benefit in having that conversation just with yourself at first, just saying, what is the weather report with me? What is the feeling that I'm feeling? And I love Justin, the way that you also um, demonstrated. It's not, I am sad. It's, I am feeling sad right? I'm not the emotion. The emotion is the emotion that I'm feeling. It is transient. It will change. It is not forever. And so just getting more comfortable with even like recognizing your emotions and how they show up for you is wildly helpful if you're trying to play into the vulnerability concept here, because we are bad at recognizing our emotion. We're bad at putting language to it. It's just really, really, really hard. Uh, The second thing that I throw out there. And I actually think it's really similar to the kind of red, green, yellow, but Brene Brown talked about this recently. I love Brene Brown. Listen, she talks, she's great. She talks about vulnerability hangovers, which I think is really important here as well, that after you kind of share a lot that you might feel kind of weird the next day. And that's normal. I think that's important. Just want to, if this is the last thing that I tell you, I got to tell you that. But the second thing that she talks about is that with her in partnership, talking about where you're at and, and in terms of leveling, so she and her boo, they'll come home and she's like, I'm at like, I'm at like a 10. And he's like, cool. I'm at a 90. I got it. You can't do dinner tonight. I can do dinner. You can't do bedtime. I can do bedtime. Whereas like she comes home and she says, I'm at 20. And he's like, I'm at 20. And they're like, I think we got to order pizza. 
right? And so that's another tactical tool that I think can be really beneficial, um, especially in partnership, not necessarily with your romantic partner, but also in teams. Like for a long time, I existed as a design researcher, right? Going into people's homes, creating really authentic communication and rapport. And sometimes I'd look at, and you usually had a partner. One of us is note-taking, one of us is documenting, one of us is asking questions. And sometimes you'd walk in or walk out of a session, you'd say, my capacity, I'm at seven. Like I can't, can you please jump in a little bit, ask some more questions this round. And so especially in a team dynamic, starting to create understanding of where you're at and what you have in terms of energy, I think is helpful too. But yes, emotional vulnerability hangovers. Don't forget, they're very real. Corey, bring us home. Tell us what else we should be doing. One thing to add, just Ricky, for you is, yeah, another way of vulnerability is um, where am I needing support right now? Mm -hmm. That's what I heard in your last bit. Oh, where could I use support right now? Because that's... For most of the people I know and work with, that's a universally oh yeah vulnerable act. A hundred percent. Figuring out where you need help and how to ask for it. Come on, we do a whole episode on that. Then I will add for tactical vulnerability to just kind of think about what about your story or experiences that you're comfortable sharing. Can you start sharing to facilitate transformation for others? or build rapport with them, build connection. That's what I got. Anybody else have any last minute thoughts for today? We're, we are racing because Ricky's got a hard stop here, just so everyone knows. Um, <laughs> Friends, it happens. I can't, I no, can't it's, help it's you. It's fine. I just, if anybody's noticing the, the, the brevity is Ricky having to race. Is um, the brevity? We've been talking about this for like an hour. I'm saying if, if you, <laughs> Um, oh, I lost it. I had something I was going to add to Corey's. I liked it. I liked it. Yeah, what could I share that could be in service of other people? I liked that. I liked it. I liked it. I liked we the liked conversation. It. We liked cool. it. I, Captain Justin Mulvaney, liked oh my this God. podcast episode. Oh, I forgot. I forgot that we added additional names. So I, Madam Ricky Goldenberg, also enjoyed. Empress Ricky Goldenberg also enjoyed. Madam Empress, please. Madam Empress is good. I like that. Uh, yeah, that one's Put really Put it together. Good. Make it longer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, everybody.